up, man? Hey, what's happening? Happy, uh, happy Thursday. Yeah, super happy Thursday, man. We're going into Christmas. Not much work left to do. How are you feeling? Ah, better, man. A lot of lemon tea, a lot of sleep. Definitely better. Have to give Alex a hard time, guys. So me coming on our show, she has a little bit of a fever. She didn't cancel. Um, you know, she still wants to come on. Um, and Alex yesterday just says, hey, I'm sick. We're canceling the show. So hey, to, to my credit, that's the first time I've called in the sick to work in like maybe a year or two. So I mean, we're uh, trying. We're trying. I'm just giving you a hard time, but it'll be uh, it'll be fun. We actually for the first time ever, we're going to have three people from three different countries. Alex is in Serbia. Me is visiting family right now in Argentina and I'm in the cold state of Minnesota. So three different, uh, three different countries segue into uh into the topic for today given uh being outsourcing work so i think uh, all of us being in different countries kind of proves you know there's no stigma around being able to get stuff done uh, anywhere in the world yeah no, definitely uh well should we bring uh bring oh i guess before we get started um just a quick shout out to our sponsor hd ships uh one of the premier agent programs out there um we are going to have an agent on our show from HD next week um, was supposed to be yesterday, but as I said, Alex was sick. Nah. Um, so we will be rescheduling that show, but we appreciate them as our, as our sponsors. Um, yeah. If you haven't followed uh, HD ships, you know, shoot them a follow. Um, and yeah. Let's get into it, man. Hey, Mia. Hey, hey man. <coughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. How we were just telling uh, everybody that you know you're under the uh, under the weather, but you know still still made it on the uh, made it on the show, and we we appreciate having you. Oh yeah, totally. Like Alex was saying, I also haven't taken any sick days off, so this is kind of one of those where I'm just gonna push through, and and I know we can do this. Um, but yeah, bear with me if my voice, you know, kind of cracks at any moment as if I'm, you know, a pre prepubescent teen. Uh, so my apologies. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, well, I guess if you want to start, maybe just tell us kind of your, you know, your background, um, you know, how you got to uh, Swarks and how you got into offshoring and, you know, kind of the viewers a little bit about you. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of a crazy story. I fell into it, as I would think most do in logistics. You're either your family was in it um, or you just kind of fell into it. And that's what happened to me. I did have uh, family friends in the industry um, that I had been around for a bit and they knew a little bit about my game plan for the future, which the first priority I had was to move out of the continent. Um, and the opportunity they had at hand was to move out of the continent and move over to Colombia. So I immediately jumped on that opportunity kind of blindfolded um, and went over to Colombia and started on this new adventure about nearshoring and staffing, right? Um, and providing these talent services, something that I had never really explored before. Um, and as that process started, I focused more on the operational side, um, but realized that naturally, I love talking to people. I never shut up. Um, and it's a great problem to have when you are good at sales. So I kind of shifted a little bit more into that department, more business development and forming relationships as well as partnerships. Um, and I've been kind of shaping around that department ever since um, and growing as the company continues to grow. Uh, and yeah, and I guess we'll see where life takes me from there. So do you speak the language or because I mean, I live in Serbia and I, I mean, I've picked it up over the past two, three years, but I mean, I'm not conversational. Yeah. 
Well, so technically, my parents are from Argentina. Um, although I was born and raised in Delaware, my family spent the entire time speaking Spanish, and I learned English in kindergarten and daycare. Um, so I ended up kind of learning both languages at the same time. Although I will say, as I got older, Spanish was really put on the back burner. Um, so I have very much the conversational of like, how was school and what did you eat today? But none of the nitty gritty of like nearshoring, you know, or, or sourcing <laughs> any of those professional terms. Um, so when the kind of the opportunity came, I started uh, really exposing myself. So reading more books, listening to music, not reggaeton like I was before, but music that actually has more valuable vocabulary um, and shaping that a little bit more. So yeah, now thankfully I can fluidly speak both languages. So is your most of your work day in English over there? Or are you speaking Spanish or? Yeah, great question. My so since I'm visiting family, my family just asked me the same thing yesterday. Actually, um, it's very much both. So all of our talent is bilingual, right? So we do have the capacity to speak both languages. Although for me, Spanish I would say is my weaker language. So I like to do most of my work in Spanish so I can make it stronger and better. Um, and on the other side, for them, most of our collaborators or our employees, their main language is Spanish, and so it's kind of the opposite. Most of the stuff that they do is in English to also same reasons kind of strengthen that. So it's it's very much a, much a mix. I would say that almost everything we do is in Spanglish. <laughs> Are you in is Swerks based in Florida? You guys have an office in Florida as well, right? South Florida? Yeah. So S-Works like headquarters and home base is in uh, Miami, actually, like right by the airport. Um, and then our other two operational centers, we have one in Medellin, which was the first one that we opened up. And actually, luckily, I've grown enough to open up a secondary office in Bogota in the last months. It's interesting to me, Florida, like Spanish is I, I spent some time in Florida and almost all the Uber drivers, they speak Spanish. Yeah. Spanish is almost more prevalent down there than English. I get to practice my Spanish a lot. 100%, especially in Miami, which is where I'm located in now, everyone speaks Spanish or, or Portuguese. You know, I walk up to get a coffee and the first thing they're gonna say to me is hola. They're not even gonna speak to me in English, which I love because I love learning new languages. And and again, like had mentioned before, my entire goal or life plan was to leave. So now that I'm back in the States, being in an area where it still feels like I'm not even in the United States is, is like a dream. And I guess kind of moving into logistics a little bit, are there particular, did you guys start with a certain type of role you were looking to, you know, offshore in the logistics you know, world or how did you guys get started and kind of pick which, you know, which roles to, you know, look for, look for first? Yeah. So I think we definitely started more with the operational side of what we've seen. So our founders firsthand have seen that problem, and that's kind of where they realized tracking and tracing specialists, uh, load coordinators, customer service reps, dispatchers, those types of more entry level um, but super necessary roles is, is really where the idea sparked. Um, and then as we started to create S-Works and build um, our team, especially our leadership team, we realized we have a lot of strong components in marketing and sales. Um, and so based off that, have been kind of gearing a little bit more into pushing those roles a little bit. So like BDRs, um, lead generation, um, and, and marketing is a lot of different roles, right? You have the implementation piece, the strategy piece, and the design piece are the three, I would say the simplest way to break it up into three key components. Um, and then as S-Works is more than just kind of a provider, we also want to be a partner. So help our customers, you know, 
consult them if they need. Um, so for those reasons, since we have the expertise in sales and marketing, um, we've been having a lot of success with those roles. Um, and sales specifically, you know, that's something you're always going to need. Your company is going to grow. You need new business, right? So it's always going to be a big need. And that's something in specific we're really working to strengthen um, because we've noticed, you know, obviously with the market suffering right now, people are really looking for BDRs um, and especially at a rate that they can afford right now. Um, so I would mention those three areas being our, our strongest right now. Yeah, I see that in the recruiting side too. Everyone's wanting, everyone's wanting sales right now. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, to me, because I spent a lot of time in South Florida and a lot of companies are doing your shoring in Colombia and Nicaragua, um, you know, and the sales level, I think people have a misconception. I, I even did a little bit of, at a, at one time, but there's some pretty talented, you know, sales reps, you know, offshore that can quite honestly outproduce a lot of U.S. U.S. reps at a very, you know, I don't know if you want to get into cost, but, you know, in call centers down, you know, in Florida, I mean, they were paying, you know, $5 an hour to sales reps, five to six an hour of sales reps offshore that were outproducing $20, $25 an hour plus commission reps in, in Florida. And I'm guessing logistics might have some similarities to, to the call center world, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's just people, right? So the person, you know, on one side of the world or the other side of the world, <laughs> It can be, you know, the same or one could be better than the other or, or vice versa. So I absolutely think that that sales is a great opportunity. And I also understand that the biggest concern when we think of sales, we think of cold calling. Right. And so everybody always thinks, oh, you know, with that accent, like it's not going to go well. But for example, S-Work's entire sales team is composed of the same talent that we're offering to our customers. So, you know. I strongly believe in the talent in the way that my entire team is composed of that same talent I'm offering. Um, and you can use them in different ways. You know, accents vary and English level varies, you know, same with myself. My Spanish might not be the best, but I think that I have more than enough Spanish to lead a call. Right. Um, so it really just depends on what different people are looking for and, and what what how much value they place on different aspects. Um, but also, what does their day to day look like? And, uh, someone might have somebody cold calling all day, but somebody else might just be sending emails all day. So the accent might not even matter or, or play a role um, in that function. So it kind of really depends on you know the company and what they're seeking, as well as the talent itself. And there's a lot of need for talent there, right? Like I, I remember I talked to an, an owner of an offshore company in Nicaragua and he said he ran like a center. So they were running different campaigns for different type of businesses. Um, you know, he said he has people showing up to his work, you know, every day looking, looking for jobs. And there's a pretty good talent pool available, right? And in, in Colombia, I mean, yeah, there's a huge talent pool available. So one of the biggest ways we source talent is uh, through partnerships with universities in the area. So these are high performing professionals that, you know, just graduated and are really starting that, you know, first career trajectory or that first job. Um, and those are the best people because they are the most highest motivated. They're very adaptable and, and easy to learn. Um, and so when they get placed with the company and they start to fall in love with that company, they want to stay there and they want to continue to grow. So that for us has been very, very successful. Um, but yeah, the talent, I mean, it's, it's available, right? You just have to spend time in, in finding them and talking with them because I might have a talent pool of 100 people and they all might look on paper like superstars, but you need to see what they are in their day to day. So at, us at S-Works, what we do is we have a training program and that training program actually becomes part of our vetting 
as well. Um, so let's say, you know, they claim to have two years of experience tracking and tracing mm -hmm. with whatever TMS system, but I want to see that firsthand and actually believe, you know, and see it that they can actually use that TMS and they've had that experience. But in addition to that, something that I talk about often is, is the soft skills, right? The personality, you know, did they show up on time? Did they ask questions? Were they engaged? Were they motivated? I think those are the things that were lacking. Um, and a lot of times people forget that component because they're just looking at their experience on paper and numbers, which I think numbers are also super important, but we also have to tie it in with those qualitative features as well. The work ethic too. I mean, if you want to maybe touch on the work ethic, maybe tell me, if I if I'm off off base here, but from from my understanding, you know, a lot of the views, you know, at least you know, with some of the people I know who use offshore and you know, some of the offshore conversations I've had is, you know, a lot of the employees that are working for U.S. companies, you know, they view it as they're working for Google, um, yeah. and you know, they they don't miss much time. They show up every day. They're extremely hard hard working, and you know, that was the you know, experience I saw from people that, and I didn't really realize that because I mean, some of these companies, they're not, they're not Google. It might be a seven person really? brokerage operation in, in the U S but you know, it's a very good job in, you know, Colombia or Nicaragua or you know, some of these offshore places, correct? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for them, it's an opportunity that gets them one step closer to their dream. And, and normally their dream is to leave their country, right? And then find somewhere else that's a little bit more stable. Um, but speaking English and making their English better is a huge opportunity for them. Finding and building a relationship with the company that's in the United States is also a huge opportunity for them. So it's definitely motivating. Um, at the same time, I don't want to generalize. You know, the same way in the U.S. you have, you know, children of billionaires who have no desire to work. You're going to have, you know, the same scenario regardless of the country. There's always going to be, you know, that couple percent that really isn't just isn't motivated at all. Um, but because of just the general fact that we have a strong country in the United States um, and it's different, our, our history is quite different than Colombia's, you know, just to give you an example, the government, the economy, the stability, all those things. So when this opportunity comes knocking on their door, for them, it's it's ten times more valuable, and you see that in their motivation every day. You know, you see it when they come extra early to work and they say extra because boss is impressed, and they not even that, but they themselves want to make sure that they're doing it right um, for for their own credibility, right? Um, building their own name and building their own future and their own professional career. Um, so I, I would definitely say the strong majority from what I've seen are more motivated than what you find in the general pop or talent pool within the United States. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think some of my viewers might, uh, might not like my opinion on that, but I would probably, probably agree with you there based on my experience. I mean, this is the thing, right? Cause I live over here. I lived over here about three years now. And um, I mean, I started in logistics out here. And I think the big thing that we all kind of don't understand is that when you look at the dollar values of what, you know, offshoring is giving to, to the customer, I mean, they're happy because obviously they're saving a bunch of money. But a lot of people kind of don't understand that that money changes lives over here and in these countries, because I mean, I've seen firsthand, like all all of my friends basically work in logistics because they all speak English. And like I said, my Serbian is not great. So all my <laughs> friends are in logistics and um this this money changes lives i mean 600 bucks 800 bucks a thousand dollars a month that's life-changing money in these countries you know um yeah. when the national salary like our national average is 500 a month you can go to university for four or five six years and you'll make 600 bucks a month 
So when a company comes in, but this is, I think, where the difference gets um, in offshoring, nearshoring, um, you know, to those countries. In Serbia, for example, and a lot of the Balkan countries, our jobs come from direct from the company. Like, like a carrier is owned by a Serbian and he says, hey, I'm going to give back to my people in my country and I'm going to give all these jobs to my people. And I mean, we don't have a lot of these kind of agencies or like programs um, that find people. I would say 90, 95% of logistics work in this country comes direct from that like carrier. So the carrier is owned by a Serbian. He ships all the jobs back to, to his people and keeps the money, you know, to benefit the people of these countries. And um, I think we all look at it like, you know, we're not paying these people enough. But if you live in these mm -hmm. countries, $600 is the equivalent of 6000 in America. I mean, totally. if you make five, six grand in Canada and you make, you know, a thousand, thousand five hundred here, it's the same thing. And um, I mean, the buying power with that money here is a lot higher. And like you said, the people are obviously going to be much more motivated. And like to Matt's point, like if you get a job to an American company in these countries, it, it is like working at Google. It's the dream, you know, and. I think just focusing on your English and computer skills um, in these types of countries will afford you a lot more opportunities in life than, than trying to make it locally with the local dialect. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, and even, you know, that difference in the amount, but also more than that, their needs, right? Like here in Argentina, again, this is where my family is, where I'm, where I'm right now. So I'm very much surrounded by this. They're desperate to eat, you know, they don't have money for food. The inflation over the last years has grown over 200%. So it's not that they're looking for a job because they really want to buy a new pair of Nike sneakers. They're looking for a job because they have to feed themselves and feed their family. And, and maybe I'm exaggerating, right? They obviously do have, you know, clothes on their, their body. Um, but that sense of urgency, you know, working or, or living from check to check is more of the norm in comparison to the United States where, you know, you have a kid, you're already saving up for their college and to buy them their first car. And, you know, you, you have a savings account for them before they're even born. So the, again, this is very much generalizing. There's definitely uh, both situations across the countries. Uh, but in general, that's kind of what we see in these, you know, nearshoring and offshoring countries that we're selecting, it's it's bringing them opportunities, um, and on the other side, bringing opportunities to the Americans. So it really is a win-win situation. Yeah, we have yeah I don't like uh, I don't like in that conversation where it goes to like, oh, this whole offshoring nearshoring thing is you know negative. Um, I can't remember who. I think I don't even want to name drop his name. He's a, a big guy on LinkedIn, and he had made a post or a comment on my post saying like. You know, in the capitalism, you have to use what's out there to, to be competitive. And as a major company, like this is just the next step. This is just, you know, the new normal. And like you pointed out, this is main. like a lot of people don't understand. This is mainly and mostly for entry level positions. Like you are not filling, you know, your top two. You're not filling your management, your VPs with, with offshore people for the most part. This is sales. This is general, like, you know, entry level dispatch. This is track and trace. Like, I think a lot of people that are experienced and have five, 10, 15 years experience are like, oh, they're coming for my job. Like, they're not, man. This is yeah. you know, how you start in the industry. So.
So yeah, I, I will say to that point, I think for the general, absolutely entry level makes more sense because that's normally where you see the most turnover as well. So part of the difference, you know, as you mentioned in, in Serbia, it's more of those direct relationship with the company. But when you go through a provider like S-Works, you have a middleman there that's helping you build that culture and helping you retain those employees. So that's a super valuable component as well, especially for, you know, your tracking specialists. You you don't want to every single week have to train a new tracking specialist. It's, it's ridiculous and it's cumbersome. Um, but on the other side, you know, we do have the ability to to find higher level. You know, we've, we've placed and we currently have placed, for example, marketing managers and sales managers, you know, C-levels. Um, but it's super important that if you're going to do that, you need to have all your ducks in a row, right? You need to have ways to communicate and, and ways to really manage that performance um, and be ready for it. I think that there can be huge value, especially when they're bilingual, uh, depending on which industry you're in and, and what those functions are going to be like. Yeah, to Thomas's point, exactly. Having yeah, Spanish is very, comment. very important. <laughs> Thank that's you, Thomas. The thing that you guys have is the Spanish, because um, obviously in America, Spanish is, I mean, I would call it your guys' second language at this point. Same oh, in Canada, how we have French, but nobody in Canada okay. speaks French, but you guys do use Spanish. And I mean, this comment really highlights the, the benefits of going a Spanish-speaking route. Because when you go the Serbian route, the Balkan route, I mean, it's helpful. I mean, there's a lot of brokerages that, that speak our language, but it's few and far between uh, as compared to, you know, how many carriers, how many drivers I've had personally that only speak Spanish. So. Totally. But even more than that, you know, in other countries, I think they put more value on learning other languages. So like, for example, I studied in, in Germany for three weeks and I worked with five-year-olds who were already fluent in English and learning Spanish at the same time. So that importance, you know, on languages allows you guys to know more languages. So a lot of the talent we're tapping into not only speak Spanish and English, but they're required through their studies to pick up another one. So we also have in the office French, Italian, Portuguese. We have someone that speaks Korean, you know, so that's also, I think, a key difference between, you know, the American education system and, and the value we put on just learning English versus other places, they put a huge value on English as well as other languages in addition. I think uh, if you want to put up uh, Robert's comment uh, too, we've had a bunch of comments, we haven't put them all up, but I think it's interesting you guys are talking about Serbia and then Spanish. I think offshoring varies on the, the country as well and you know what type of role. Like I, I know, and Mia can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are some companies you know in Florida that they would hire more reps in the Philippines or for certain jobs because naturally the Philippines are less expensive than hiring in in Colombia. Um, but there would be certain roles, you know, and it was a balance because you might hire 10 reps in the Philippines to do the same work as four or five. And, it, you know, there's, there's every offshoring, it seems, each country is set up kind of differently and for different roles yeah, and different purposes. Yeah. And I mean, can we, if we get into that i mean you can obviously respectfully decline um can we talk about the pace of let's say like a track and trace day one on the job because i mean in serbia we have um i mean it's, it's been going up thankfully um three years ago i think we started around 500 american for any logistics job entry level and that was usually like a 90 days before you even think about getting anything higher but i think we're closer to like the 6 650 700 now for for like a day one track and trace type of person huh. So. Yeah, I, I would say that there's definitely pros and cons depending on what you're needing, right? I mean, you have the the time difference, um, which is a, can be a big problem. If you have someone, you know, doing cold calling 
from the Philippines to someone in, you know, California, that's not going to work, right? So even the, the cost difference might not be worthwhile. Uh, now, a tracking specialist might be, but maybe a dispatcher wouldn't because all of your drivers speak Spanish and you want, you know, someone who, who does speak Spanish as well. So I would say that you would have to kind of look at that um, and depending on what your biggest need is, right? Um, but I, yeah, in general, it's absolutely more expensive, you know, closer to your operations. Um, but we have seen a huge shift from offshoring to nearshoring. So there seems to be some value in that difference. You know, maybe you're paying a little bit more, but you're also getting compensated in that quality. Um, and more than that, that time zone, right? It kind of lets you build that relationship a little bit stronger um, and leverage their daytime in comparison to yours. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to argue with myself. We do have 24-7 talent that we're sourcing out of Colombia. So we have some people working, you know, the 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift. Um, but again, it's it's very personalized. You know, it depends on the person and the company and their needs. You know, maybe I have a child and so I need to pick up the night shift so I can be there during the day. Um, who knows? But the the good thing is that there is opportunities. You know, you can kind of decide what, what is the thing that most matters to you. And based off that, select either a provider, you know, that's closer to home um, or, or further away. So how does this model work? Like, um, you know, just in a general quick sense, like you guys are the company, you source the talent. And then, you know, if somebody says, hey, I need five track and trace to work three different shifts, then you guys step in and say, hey, I have, you know, this X amount of talent that can fit this criteria. And let's say it doesn't go well with that that customer. Do you keep that talent? Like, is that like, are you guys the one paying them at the end of the day? Or are they directly? Yeah, so we're doing all of the front end sourcing, vetting, and matching. Um, so the interviewing, the calling the previous employers, and, and basically to keep it short and simple, what we do is we'll send to our customers those best match candidates. Now, those candidates might be candidates that still haven't entered our doors, or they might be candidates that are already working um, in our training program. They're not going to be on a different account because these are full-time employees only placed onto one account. They're exclusive to that company. So I wouldn't be able to kind of pull one from company A and put them into company B. That doesn't happen. Now, let's say, you know, they're working with your team um, and they're just not cutting it. We're all about people, right? So I'm not going to just say, okay, bye, Bob. You know, thank you for your time. Have a great life. No, that's not really our our, our um, value or our mindset, right? So what we're going to do is kind of dig in deeper. You know, why was Bob not, not the right fit? Was it because he wasn't a good fit for that company and his values? Was it because he wasn't performing or his attitude? You know, really, what is it? Because if we can give them an opportunity and it was more of a thing about matching and fitting and less about the quality of the talent, as much as possible, you know, we're going to spend time building that person up. Maybe we've realized, hey, we thought that they were really strong in this area, which is what that customer needed, but they weren't. So let's place them back into that training program, spend some time, invest in them and their future, mold them a little bit. Um, and then when we feel that they're ready, you know, give them another shot, do a couple tests with them, obviously validate them and, and vet them before, you know, we don't want to just throw bodies at our customers. We really want to throw high quality people that we truly believe in. Um, and then, yeah, give them another shot, put them in there and see how it goes. And on the other side, you know, we are doing the contracting. So benefits, payroll, taxes, infrastructure, we're handling all of that. You for deal with all the pay like to your employees. 
yep, yeah, we do all of that for them. So like I had mentioned before, we're really that middleman to help you, you know, take care of your employees, make them feel special, make them feel heard, make them, you know, really invest in them, not only professionally, but personally. Um, and that helps with our retention rate, right? And so when I place that individual with your team, they're there to stay and they're there to grow with you, you know, not just come in a day and the next day they're out. Now you're wasting that money, right? And time. So do you, are you on site with all these people or like most of them or that, that main office? You guys have those two offices like you're over there full time. So I originally was out there in Columbia um, and I was there full time, but I moved to Miami, I guess, in October now. So a couple months ago. Um, but we do have, you know, all of our boots in the ground and our leadership team is over there, except for myself um, and our founder. Um, but we have about 90 percent, I want to say, of our operations is in one of the two offices and the other 10 percent are across Columbia. Now, different offshoring and nearshoring providers, I know, do it differently. I believe there's some that don't even have their own offices. If not, it's it's more of a co-working center. Um, but for us, it's been something very important to have that environment. I don't know if you see any of our LinkedIn posts or our Instagram, but we are very much a family spirit um, and having them in the office is super important. You know, we've had people that are remote begging to come in. Um, nonetheless, I will say, you know, in the future, hybrid modalities um, and possibly even remote is something we're going to explore more and more. You know, as technology advances, that's going to be facilitated um, and there's going to be other tools we're going to be able to put into place to still be able to build that culture, even with people at a distance, you know, like we're doing right now, you know, we're completely spread out across the world and here we are still connecting. Definitely. Um, kind of, I know you mentioned you do consulting as well. So, and then we, we're going to get into some misconceptions as well, but do you like advise brokerages? Like, you know, for example, I've seen a lot on LinkedIn, a lot of carriers have been complaining that, you know, these offshore companies will have 24 seven track and trace. They'll have tracking on the truck, you know, and the offshore reps will call them six times in an hour at 1 AM and wake up the rep because they're paid, paid to do that. Um, I was just curious kind of from, you know, when you're talking to these companies, you know, sometimes they may want you to utilize, you know, offshore and nearshore reps for things that aren't necessarily a good idea. Do you guys you know, give suggestions to these companies on, on things like that as well? Great question. Absolutely. Yeah. So we don't have necessarily a, a formal consultation program. Um, we just have key team members that are experts in the field, right? So they are more than welcome to talk with our customers or, or even before they become customers, prospects who are like, hey, I don't really know what to do here. Like, what do you think I should do? Absolutely. We are, that's what we're all about. We're very, very personalized. You know, it's something that I've mentioned multiple times throughout our, our conversation today. Um, and I think that's something that's super important because not all roles might be successful being offshore or nearshore. And to Alex's point, as he was saying before, you know, those C-level roles can be quite tricky. So as much as we can guide them through that process of how to make the relationship as successful and as effective as possible, you know, we're going to be there to do that. And, like I had mentioned before, we're not here to just, you know, throw bodies at you. We're about quality and we want people to come through our doors and stay through our doors, whether it's on the employee side or whether it's on the customer side. So investing time before inviting our customers too is crucial to make sure that we understand what their needs are and that we can actually service them. You know, there's a lot of people out there. We have a lot of owner operators or solopreneurs that come to us um, and some, you know, all of them we would love to help. But some are just not in an area where we can help them yet. You know, they don't have the time to dedicate to train or, or to guide or to, to respond to their employees. So although we want to help them, you know, 
it might not be the right time. And and sometimes it's hard to say no, but a no might be necessary. So that's super, super important as well. It's interesting you bring that up because I've learned that in recruiting um, since I got into it, you know, recently that too, you got to know if you can actually help them or if it's going to be a, a good fit instead of saying yes to everyone. And then you get yourself in some situations that are, are more difficult. Um, I guess kind of talking about getting customers too, and I'm asking this for a selfish reason because I'm thinking about going to some conferences this year. I see a lot of the offshore at conferences, um, you know, whether it be Lean Solutions, you guys. I mean, I constantly see it at a lot of different conferences. Can you talk about is that how you get you guys get a lot of customers from there? Um, is that where a lot of these conversations happen? It's obviously got to be worth it because everyone seems to be be doing it in the offshore, near shore. Yeah, I think that there's good and bad things to go into the conferences. And I wouldn't say that it's our biggest avenue of a customer acquisition because it's not. I think for us specifically, it's been a huge um, opportunity for brand awareness. We are the new kids on the block, right? So being able to go there and, and have them see us work's name or, or start to get familiarized with myself and with my teammates um, has been a powerful way for people to, to learn about us um, and the things that we care about and the things that we offer. So that, that's been kind of more of our strategy is, is building that network of relationships um, and, and having people understand what S-Works means to us. Um, and then by default, that started to bring more of that inbound traction. Um, so, so honestly, for our customer acquisition, it's really been, uh, I guess, uh, an effect you know, a delayed effect of those events, you know, people now see us works and maybe now they've seen me at a couple events and they're like, okay, like, let's talk now. You know, I see you everywhere. What do you do? You know, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your company. Um, so that that's been more for us. Now, uh, the other, you know, providers that are in the area that I also see at all these events, they have been around the block a little bit longer. So I'm not sure, you know, what their strategy is. Um, but yeah, for, for us, it's definitely more about building networks, um, establishing that those connections since we are, again, those new kids on the block. Um, and then slowly that's become, you know, one knows one who knows one who knows another one and a referral leads to another referral. And now this little spider web has become, you know, this ginormous spread, this ginormous network um, that's super, super powerful. Is that a competitive industry? Like, I mean, obviously brokerages is, you know, massively, massively competitive, um, you know, in, in the offshore you know, world, is it, you know, how do you guys kind of differentiate yourself from the, the competition? Is there a lot of, you know, brokerages that work with one or two nearshoring companies? Um, I guess if maybe you want to get into the, you know, kind of competition level and, you know, that type of things, I'm sure it's similar to, you know, the brokerage, brokerage side. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of competition. I would say it's a pretty saturated market. Um, and one of the things is that we are tapping, a lot of us are tapping into the same talent pool. So how do we differentiate, differentiate ourselves? And I think for us, it's really that that boutique-like service or that attention to detail. You know, I could be interviewing that same Bob, right? But maybe I'm actually asking him the questions that we need to ask to understand if Bob's a good fit. Versus others might just be looking more at the paper and pencil and saying, yep, Bob meets the job, you know, qualifications. Perfect. That's a match. Um, so that's one way in which we differentiate ourselves, uh, because, again, it is a very, very saturated market. Um, but secondly, I think similar to, you know, you know carriers and brokers um, and shippers as well, there's um, some negativity around it um, in terms of some of the values of other people. Um, so for us, it's been something that we would like to keep at the forefront of everything we do and make sure that, you know, instead of talking bad about others, 
we would like to highlight the, the good about us, right? Um, so keeping those values at the front of everything we do. I know a lot of people talk about values and talk about culture, um, but I think that if you spend, you know, five minutes talking to any of our team members from SWorks, you'll see it firsthand. We truly do believe in our in our people, and, and that's also reflected on retention rate. You know, I believe we we recalculated last month. We have a ninety eight percent retention rate right now for someone who's in a staffing company. That's a very high rate, you know, and I don't think that's just because we pay good salaries. We do pay good salaries, but that's not enough to keep somebody there. Um, it, it's more than that. It's it's truly valuing people as people. And um, that's, you know, intertwined in, in every aspect of what we do. And it speaks for itself. So I don't know if there's one giant thing or one particular thing that you can do to stand out. It's more of once you start to, you know, build your own, whether it's my personal presence or or S-Works presence, make sure that everything we do is around those six values that we have, then people will start to realize, okay, if I'm looking for X type of quality, then I know who to turn for. But if I like other things like I don't know whether it's really expensive dinners or being flown to another country for a fun weekend, you know, there might be other people there for you. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And you kind of mentioned the inbound inbound aspect earlier too, and you know, the, the marketing. And I totally agree about the competitor aspect too. And brokerage is one of the dumbest things you can do is talk badly about, about a competitor yeah. as well. Um, but you talked about the marketing and inbound. That was something, you know, I'm curious, you know, if your brand on LinkedIn, your company's brand, how much inbound traction? Because I didn't realize that until I got into recruiting. But you know, I just post about today, 80% of my business comes inbound through LinkedIn. And some people I've never talked to, I guess they've just been following or looking around for for a while. And I'm, I'm curious if it's similar on the nearshoring and offshore side as it is to you know, the U.S. side of recruiting. For sure. Um, I don't want to talk about others because I have no idea, but for ourselves, absolutely. Inbound has been a, a great strength. Thank God, knock on wood, thank God. Um, and I think it's because, you know, our, our marketing, you know, everything that we're posting shows what we care about and what we do. And so people see that and they start to follow um, and they start to become intrigued. So then they come and, you know, they ask. And we also very much take like a, a no pressure approach. So you message me today and you say, hey, me, I want to talk to you. I want to know about what you're doing. I'm not going to pressure you to, to sign that paper that day because I'm not here to just make you, you know, pay my commissions. That's not what I'm about. I'm here to actually add value. So if I can't add value to you, you know, I, I'll tell you no. It, it hurts me, but I'll, I'll tell you no, because that no is going to help you more than me just lying and telling you, yeah, let's do it. Right. So I think that come a, a couple of those things. And, and again, that that value word is the most important. And it's allowed that traction to come in inbound. Um, but another aspect being, you know, we're not just building S-Works brand, but we're building our own brand. And every single member of S-Works should be a great representation of the brand as a whole. So as we're all, you know, you can see a lot of S-Works sales team posting on LinkedIn, talking about their achievements and things that they care about. And you're also going to notice we all post very different things. You know, I have an individual on my team that does Tech Thursdays, where every Thursday she talks about new technology in the industry. I have another individual who posts Mindfulness Mondays. Um, and every Monday she talks about, you know, balancing professional and personal life. I talk a lot about my travel um, and as well as, you know, career trajectories because I never in a billion years expected to be here today. So having, you know, different people on your team build their personal brand and that being a reflection by default, you know, of the professional brand as well, because we're selecting people whose 
values, you know, the company's values or actually our individual values as well. So if those are intertwined and everything you see that we post, you know, very much speaks for itself. Um, and I think that that's really been the key to build that inbound traction that we've been receiving. Yeah, no, it makes a, makes a lot of sense. And I, I do see a lot of your guys's you know, content and different styles of content, you know, all, uh, on LinkedIn. Alex, you got any questions? I feel like I've asked the last. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like this, I mean, I heard all of that, obviously. I'm just completely off topic. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Like, I would assume, I mean, from my understanding and, you know, a lot of people I know from Columbia, um, would you say your two highest, like, placement positions would be carrier sales rep and then track and trace? No. <laughs> I would say that probably the or not probably, I know that the most placed position is what we call an operations specialist. Um, and that really embodies tracking specialists, load coordinators and dispatching as well as customer service all in one. So what we like to do is instead of kind of segmenting them down by like, hey, you're just gonna track because maybe tomorrow they might have to also create that load and build it in the TMS. So we kind of embody it under that term of operations specialist where they cover all those functions. And maybe today they're only doing two of the four, but they have the capacity to do those other two tomorrow when you need them. Um, so that's actually the most placed. So maybe rephrase my question um, from a customer point of view, what are they requiring the most? Cause I mean, yeah, obviously internally, you're not going to tell somebody, Hey, you're just a track guy. Like you're, you're only track and that's all, you know? Like internally, I understand that's not the approach, but I mean, yeah. from from outside, like when you're being contracted for placements, like what are people requiring the most usually? So still, I would say mostly so operations. General, um, general. Yeah, but secondly, BDRs. A lot of people are coming for for BDRs. They don't have sales and they don't have the money to hire more people in the states um, because a sales rep in the United States plus a commission structure can be quite expensive. Uh, that's being that's been one of the most requested roles we've been receiving lately. So, as a carrier and only a carrier, I'm assuming that's like the cold calling people. Uh, like yep, sales exactly. People. It's kind of the the yeah, back end of a carrier sure. sales rep. <laughs> What is a what does a commission structure and if you can't if you can't touch on this that's that's totally fine but just being an ex ex broker and sales rep myself I'm just kind of curious what the commission structure looks like for you know BDRs you know near short if you can't like I said if you can't answer that I totally understand too so yeah so I would say it's it's definitely much 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 lower than what you see in the United States um, but it's still what it is for them is a good chunk of money so normally what we recommend is about the rate that they pay monthly for that role to consider giving them or offering them 10% of that rate being the allowance they can reach in a commission. So uh, just to kind of give you guys an idea for, I don't know, from a junior to a, a senior, you might be seeing somewhere between 300 uh, to $500, you know, very on the high end. Now, every person does it very differently. I know um, other in individuals in the area might have a higher commission structure, uh, but because the company also takes X percentage out of it, and the more that the employee makes, the more the company takes. Uh, for us at S-Works, 100% of that goes directly to the collaborator. So we're not profiting anything on that commission structure, uh, which is why we're able to have it, of, I guess, a smaller percentage because 100% goes into their pockets. Um, so they win all that and we don't need that you know, inflation piece on it. I mean, I think with being somebody from being over here, um, I think a lot of Americans and I guess even Canadian, like whoever in North America market will see these numbers and, you know, they, they, they don't look at it positively. 
But um, I think if you can 2, 3x, I mean, sometimes even 4x the national average salary, then, I mean, you're doing whoever's that employee, you know, a solid because ours is about five, 600 and the average one, two, three year experience person is making like 12, 13. So, I mean, if you can two, three X the national salary, if you're paying your employee more than, you know, a doctor gets paid, which happens here, doctors only make a thousand bucks. And so you can have a guy doing track and trace making 12, he's better paid than a doctor. So I think the, the dollar values sound not great, but when you like go and live over there and buy your groceries for the week and like, you know, when you're living in those countries, you see that it, it's just different. It's a different situation. So totally. if you can two, three X the, the country's national, national average salary, then, you know, that's, that's an amazing opportunity for, for anybody involved. For sure. I mean, I think it's, it's all about perspective, right? You know, I live in Miami, super expensive. If I want my Starbucks matcha latte with almond milk, if anybody wants to buy me a Christmas gift, they know what to get me. <laughs> it's like seven, eight dollars, right? If I want to buy my, you know, matcha latte, whatever, with a pastry and a dessert after my pastry and maybe another drink for my friends, I'm paying the same amount. So, you know, when you kind of look at it that way, you know, the money does go a lot longer. Um, and especially if those commissions, you can pay it to the employees in dollars, you know, being that little percentage that they're getting in dollar also holds yeah, the conversion rate is nice and i mean a year ago when our conversion rate was at the highest it's ever been it dropped overnight i mean i lost like almost thousand dollars just on the conversion rate hmm. and so that's the cool thing in these markets is if you're paying in a different currency then that employee gets like that lottery feeling you know some some paycheck's gonna be an extra you know 100 bucks sitting there 50 bucks and to go back to your seven, eight dollars, like I, I just bought 2.2 pounds of beef, like steak, you know, at my store that cost me eight bucks. So, I mean, you know, a coffee in Miami is the same price as two pounds of beef over here. So, I mean, the, the dollar amounts, we can't look at them like a black and white thing. You have to do some research. You have to look at national salaries. You have to look at, you have to just go there and spend like a month with a local in their house, see what their groceries are costing them. And you have to see how positive, you know, 600, 700 American dollars can make on a family of four in, in these types of countries, because it's, it's not within the United States. Like if you're in the United States, right. And, and today the minimum wage is eight dollars, but things are changing. So then we have to, you know, also change that minimum wage or that salary expectation to be able to sustain a, you know, a family, a, a middle income of four people or, or something along those lines. So the same way that it's going to change and the dollar value, it has a different impact in different countries, even within the United States, you know, that number is fluctuating. So it's, it's about actually taking time to analyze and understand what yeah. that numerical figure represents. No, I just don't like the, the stigma behind it. I mean, people have even said it to me and, you know, I've been doing this long time and I know so many people that, that walked out of dispatch because they got hard but just the stigma where it's like oh like six hundred dollars like you know americans are taking advantage of these people and you got to think like you know they did the legwork it's the same thing when a broker gets a good load it's his load yeah. you know without these these operations like your operation these people wouldn't have any opportunity and they'd be stuck with you know what they have in their countries and they'd be struggling and i think you know like companies deserve to turn a profit as long as you know they're being respectful to, to the workers involved and I would say a lot of outsourced workers have a better life than minimum wage employees in America. Like I would definitely say that. Yeah. yeah.
I mean, I think it, it has to do with different companies. You know, we have had a past of call centers um, where they did, you know, abuse their employees, yeah. right? They had them working yeah. outrageous hours, you know, doing tasks that were just not ethical. And we've even seen this today. You know, there's a, a huge uh, call center, international one in Colombia, actually in the same building where our Medellin office is, who is in the middle of a lawsuit um, because of, you know, these unethical processes that they're implementing so you know you can't let one bad name or, or one bad experience taint the rest um as long as you know you're also vetting you know these companies that you're working with and making sure that they truly you know invest in their people and and do what they say that they're doing you know there are a lot of benefits and positive things um and opportunities that you know nearshoring and offshoring providers are offering yeah, i just wish that the general population could get a, a better understanding of how much good this does to these countries and not just yeah. say like hey people are being taken advantage of or we need to keep all this these jobs in america and like matt was saying at the start of the show i mean you could pay somebody 20 22 an hour to sit in miami florida to be a sales rep and he's gonna think oh i can barely afford anything and he's gonna come late and he's not gonna work as hard as somebody that's getting paid a fair rate in their country they, they still get to be with their family and i mean i i just wish people would stop looking at it like so negatively when you have so many great people, I see them every day, I have coffee with them, you know, I go out for drinks with these people, like, without these opportunities, without these jobs, like, it's, it's a really depressing landscape in a lot of these countries, um, without these opportunities. And these people are speaking two, three, four languages, and you know, they, they use computers every day, and a lot of them are university educated, yeah. and sad to, to see without these jobs, how their life would be. And it's awesome to see, you know, with these types of jobs, offshoring, nearshoring jobs, you know, how much better their life is. And, you know, they can give their mom, you know, some extra money to buy some stuff and pay their mom's rent or something. And it's life changing to these people. And um, yeah. I just wish we had a better, you know, it's just negative because you always get that thing. You call somebody, they have an accent. People are like, oh, this is terrible. Like, there's so many bad actors. There's so many people taking advantage of offshoring and not doing it correctly and not betting correctly and yeah. just hiring, like you said, whoever's CV says two years of English. And that's just not how you do it, you know? It doesn't work. I also think, you know, in the United States and, for example, in our history class, or let's look at a geography map. We put the United States in the middle of the map because to yeah. us, you know, everything revolves around us. And I'm not, you know shitting on us, excuse my language, you know, I understand, you know, it's great that we have, you know, that love for our country, but it can't be at the, you know, the unbenefit or the disbenefit of, of others. You know, we're all humans. We, we need to care for each other. And if we're in a place where we can help others, then why wouldn't we? You know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm an empath, right? So I feel for other people and, and I'm so happy that I have a roof over my head, you know, enough to, to be able to feed myself and my family. So why wouldn't I want to, you know, and desire to give those same opportunities to others in other places? You know, I don't care what language they speak or their last name or the color of their skin. That should really be irrelevant. What matters to me is, you know, do they do they do they treat people with respect? You know, are they kind people that that actually inspire to do better? And if they are, then let's help them, you know, reach that. I think we need a more global movement where we're all people. We need to start breaking down the country barriers. I mean, we're all in three different countries. We all speak English. We all have a camera and a microphone and internet. And I mean, the barriers, it's not 1940. It's not, you know, 1840. Like the barriers are gone. The world is global. You can send a text across the world. You can send money across the world. I mean, we need to start, like you said, looking at people as humans 
and not yeah. so much oh you're from this country you have to be this religion you have to think that way i mean we're all just people at the end of the day you know like, yeah i, I saw this couple, too. Oh, go ahead, Mark. sorry go ahead i was saying a couple things going i want to let alex finish his points but a couple things going back to the the previous previous conversation because you were talking about how the economy changes and you know colombia and i was just curious because like i saw you know, from my understanding, the offshoring with COVID affected and raised the raised the rates there. And you know, do businesses kind of you know what Alex was kind of touching on, you know, not necessarily understanding the offshores? Was that a hard conversation to have about the you know raising? I'm guessing you guys raised your prices, and then also, you know, do any of your clients ever want to come out to? Like, it's not a very long flight from Florida to to Colombia. I mean, do a lot of your clients ever want to come out there and actually see the operations too? Yeah. So in terms of the pandemic itself, we actually started after the pandemic. So kind of opened up the doors for more near showings and not necessarily any changes in, in rates from, from our side, um, but possibly for others. Although we're constantly, you know, looking at the economy, looking at the value of the dollar and the value of the peso to be able to make sure that what we're paying our employees is accurate um, and su sufficient for them. So that's constantly under review. Um, but we're not, you know, here switching and changing prices every day. Absolutely not. Um, and to your second question, for sure, we've definitely had people come visit. Um, and a lot of people, you know, desire that because they want to build, you know, that relationship with their teammates. Um, um, and a lot have been asking for for training purposes when they do those company specific trainings, they like to do them in person at times as well. Um, so they do have the opportunity to come into our office and, you know, use a, a space in our office, a dedicated space to get to know their team members. You know, we definitely encourage it. I think that although there's a lot of tools to connect re remotely, like, for example, how we're doing right now, there's obviously going to be a value of, you know, meeting somebody in person. You know, we're in the office together and, you know, it's the end of the day and we're both walking in the same direction hey let's get a taxi together and now we have 15 more you know minutes of personal and authentic conversation so as much as we can get them to connect in person you know i think that's a, a great additive component um and you also have the opportunity to send some of our employees to the united states um, we do tell our customers if that's something of interest to them to let us know in the beginning um, because we do have a lot of people that have visas and those visas last 10 years so it allows them the opportunity to travel um, but for those who don't have visas it is a very cumbersome process to start from zero um, so it is something that we do kind of inquire with our customers from the beginning well that's what i was gonna say it's a funny topic because i've told matt to come to serbia many times it's just a much cheaper trip than for me to go there and because um, I'm a Canadian citizen, so I have the luxury, you know, I can go, nice. you know, my mom's. Why are we meeting Canada? Not... Canada's a lot closer. Why don't we meet there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, bro. But the point is the cheapness. But the point of that whole topic is that Matt doesn't hold a passport. So Matt doesn't understand, you know, a lot of times the visa aspect, which like a lot of like even my girlfriend said to me, like, hey, if you need to go to the States for a week or two, can I come? And I told her, you have a Serbian passport, go figure out the visa <laughs> process. And it's not simple. And a lot of it's the lottery, unfortunately, where you just apply and apply and apply and apply until eventually somebody gives it to you. But um, when you're in these countries, that's the big thing. A lot of these people can't go out of these countries. They can't work in different countries. They can't visit the States. I mean, the visa process. And I mean, because it's been abused. The guys go there on a six-month visa and they never come back. They work, you know, for yeah. cash. I mean, I know those types of people in the manual labor industry. And uh, unfortunately, it made getting visa for legitimate purposes much harder. 
um it's a lot easier i guess for you guys because you have you know employment lined up for them it might be easier if you guys can help them with that that'd be pretty pretty good for them so yeah yeah although generally so it's it's a tourism visa the tourism visa also applies for general work um not necessarily being employed directly in the united states but if they need to go to let's say a conference or visit an office um that is covered within that visa so you guys are now, able to help your employees get through that process Absolutely. Yes, we do. We have, you know, a legal team to help support that. We, we've had, you know, customers say this person doesn't have a visa, but this person has been with me since the start. And tomorrow I want them to come. So let's start the process now. It's also an expensive process, but yeah. we're investing in people, you know, that are here for the long term, you know, the long run. They've been with your team for two years. They're probably going to be there for another five. You know, why not? I, you know, I, I think it is you know, really great that you guys do that. Cause I mean, I do agree with the, you know, personal, personal connection and it is a struggle to have a visa. My ex-girlfriend, she's in Kenya right now in Dubai and she hadn't seen her family for five years. She lives in the U S but because of, you know, visa issues and you know, things like that, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, not, not easy for sure. Um, I, I was curious too, cause I know you said BDR, and I didn't want to forget this. It was on an earlier topic. So sorry, I'm jumping around. But I know you said BDR is a, is a big role. Like I see on the recruiting side, a lot of companies are cradle to grave and a lot of companies are split models. Now, are some of these reps that are BDRs over there, are they doing their own ops too? Is that an option? Or a lot of them, they're just doing their sales and somebody else doing an ops? But is it like the US where every company has a different model where some are they'll hire cradle to grave and some you know, split models? Great question. Both. <laughs> um, so it really depends, you know, every company kind of segments it differently, um, which is something I always say to, to my customers as well. You know, I make them send me a job description or we build one out together because what a BDR does for you is very different from your neighbor, right? Everybody kind of implements it differently. So we have the ability to kind of mix and match. Like maybe you want um, someone who does, you know, your cold calling and, and sending emails, but also is supporting on the, you know, dispatching side terms of in terms of skill sets it's a possible match um but let's say you know they want someone to do graphic design and also want them to do cold calling in terms of skill sets skill sets yes. that's a very intricate and, and not likely match right we're talking about a designer who's probably someone who works very independently versus a salesperson who's on the phone and likes talking and is outgoing it's it's quite different so as much as possible, we do mix and match um, and find a person to cover all the tasks they need, regardless of however they want to coin or, or title that role. Um, but within reason, right? You know, if, if it's not possible, we'll do the the search, right? And we'll, we'll start sourcing. Um, but we're also going to be very transparent and say, look, based off what we know, this is going to be very unlikely to find. Doesn't mean it's impossible, um, but it's, it's, it's unlikely, right? You know, we've had people say like, I want a mix of Mia plus her operations manager, plus her marketing manager, um, plus the finance guy. And I'm like, well, I also want that would be awesome, um, but it doesn't exist. So so we try, you know, to, to incorporate it because we don't want to, you know, if you can avoid hiring two employees because, you know, I know that we don't have endless pockets, but the functions, you know, maybe you only need one role for part-time and another one for part-time, maybe we can find that in one person. And if we can, awesome, you know, here you go and here's your superstar, leverage them as much as you can. 
I guess too, what are some other, you know, we've touched on a lot of misconceptions, but are there any things that we should ask you? Is there any misconceptions that you hear a lot that you want to address that maybe we haven't, you know, Alex and I haven't touched on? Yeah, I think that the level of education, I think briefly we kind of touched on that and it's kind of tied in with that entry level aspect. No, this is a talent pool. So it's not that everybody we're talking to is just a, a fresh graduate, right? We're sourcing, you know, people that maybe have 15 years of experience as well. So there's a, a phrase I use a lot and it's, you guys have no idea how smart I am in English. I say that in Spanish all the time because sometimes I can't talk as fluid in Spanish. And so when people hear somebody with an accent, they're like, well, that guy doesn't know anything. That's not true at all. You know, they're very, very smart. Maybe they aren't able to communicate in the way or to the level of, of, you know, their intelligence, but that doesn't mean that they don't know, you know, a doctor in Argentina isn't any dumber than a doctor in the United States. They just <laughs> might not be able to communicate in your language the same way that you might not be able to communicate in their language. So understanding that people are people and that an accent doesn't have anything to do with intelligence level is super crucial. And the fact that other countries, regardless of how unstable they are, or how much their economy is suffering, that doesn't mean that they don't have knowledge or education or access to resources. I think that's super important. You know, we did talk about a lot of generalizations here today, but there's always going to be exceptions. So that's something I would say is, is crucial to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, in summary, that's like the absolute best way you can talk about this topic. Like, of course, there's a bunch of generalizations. Of course, we're still going to hit those terrible call centers that nobody wants to deal with. But at the same time, there's so many good people that are, you know, not in America doing this job, helping out that people don't even know that they're not like, like for me, like nobody knows that I don't live in the States or that I'm not chilling in Toronto, like, because I I'm from China. Everyone on LinkedIn knows that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But like in my day to day life, like when I'm just calling loads, talking to people, like a lot of people are like, Hey, are you Canadian? And I, I still don't understand how Americans always know I'm Canadian. I'll never <laughs> Like, I don't say hey a lot, but I mean, it's the accent. Like, you know, like when, when I'm talking to normal people, they have no clue where I am. And that's the whole thing I say to a lot of people. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm doing the same job that I'm going to do, whether I'm in Toronto, whether I'm chilling, you know, in mm -hmm. Chicago, whether I'm chilling in Serbia, like I'm always going to have the same level of work. And I just think, you know, and people say like, why do you, why do people use fake names? There's just a lot of prejudice, man. Like nobody wants to see a name that they can't pronounce because they're instantly yeah. going to start making opinions knowingly unknowingly and um i mean there's just so many good people that that aren't living in the states that are working in this industry and um i think to wrap it up you know we just gotta stop kind of assuming things like you said a, a doctor that doesn't speak english in argentina is no stupider than the doctor that does speak english um we can all contribute to the same types of jobs whether we sound normal you know or different mm -hmm. we're, we're all doing the same things yeah i think it's just Oh, sorry. I was going to ask, are you guys using, to his point, I would say you guys use fake names for, for offshore, nearshore. I was like, I, I don't think that that is as common as maybe. <coughs> Alex, right? Oh, bro, that's the most common thing you'll ever see in your entire Every single person uses a fake name, like in the Balkans. Every single one. Yeah. <laughs> for us, we don't we don't use fake names. I mean, if somebody would like to, you know, they're they're more than welcome to go for it. We had an individual. Spanish who's is able a little bit more accepted over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's 
it's very true. You know, a Latin American accent is more accepted than an accent from Serbia or India or the Philippines. And that's absolutely true. Um, but we kind of leave it to them. You know, we had someone yeah. named Juan and everybody would call him Juan, <laughs> like the number one. Um, and so sometimes he would say his name was Juan and sometimes he would go with John, depending on, you know, how he felt that day. It's, it's really up to them. It's it's a shame that some of them feel that they need to do that just so they can, you know, even have your respect, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Um, but if we can, you know, instead of making them change their names, it change our attitudes. I think that's kind of be way more important. And in the end of the day, more effective. No, of course. I mean, people using fake names, um, like it's just like you said, it's up to them. And I wish that wasn't even a conversation we need to be having. But I feel like, you know, just off the top of my head, I know one broker from, from Columbia. Her name is Maria Gomez. And it's like, that's, you know, that's a manageable name for the average American. And I always go back to when I call brokers from like Alabama, the South usually. And one of my coworkers, uh, his name was Dragos. And he gave up on that name after the first five days. He just started calling himself David because nobody <laughs> could pronounce it. And his last name was something Yeftovavich. It's like 20 letters. There's just a prejudice, you know. And I think that the Spanish names are a lot more commonplace and a lot more like manageable. But like you said, we shouldn't even be talking about that. It should be like the attitude towards not judging people based on their mm -hmm. name. Because I mean, you don't even talk to the person yet. And you already have opinions. Exactly. Is there a lot of prejudice you, uh, you know, you you deal with? Because I mean, even some call center owners that were offshoring, you know, in Florida that I knew, some of the call centers in Colombia would be like, hey, you know, this this rep may ask you for for money or want to know how much the center is making. And, you know, like I heard some, you know, pretty prejudiced stuff related to that to that business. Do you, do you, do you run into that, you know, with 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 businesses? Does that does mm -hmm. that is there some you know truth that there's a lot of people that do have, you know, prejudice you know and that kind of thing i i know i didn't really want to get into a negative topic but since alex alex <laughs> brought it up might as well might yeah, as i brought well. up yeah. talking about some names bro you just brought up like price <laughs> fixing magic yeah i mean let's be real yes there absolutely is and i think more than kind of that i've seen firsthand our our collaborators or our employees have seen in some of their conversations when somebody is on a phone and their face isn't being shown for some reason, they have a lot of balls um, and they get a lot of confidence and they feel like they can say whatever they want to say. So those are the instances where we might hear a lot of racist comments um, and ignorant comments. And what we do is, you know, we kind of teach and we have a lot of like wellness uh, sessions or motivational speakers and kind of just giving them tools to say, hey, look, whoever is, you know, saying those things about you has absolutely no idea who you are. They're completely irrelevant. You know, let it come in one year and out the other year and move on with your day. It's, it's obviously easier said than done. You know, if somebody called me ugly, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, why? But that has absolutely nothing to do with me. It has to do with them. You know, it's a reflection yeah. of them and their it's character. It's so. them more than it is of you as a person. And I mm -hmm. think I tell that to all my dispatchers, you know, because when they're new in this industry, like somebody was telling me the other day, this is trucking. This isn't like working at a bank. This isn't like a typical office job. Um, there is swearing. There is trucker talk. You know, like that's and that's one of the things I come from, a, like a manual labor background in plumbing. That was like a big benefit to me because this is like my first office job, but it wasn't so serious. Like, yeah, of course, you have calls and customers and people you need to be serious with. But I mean, a lot of it's like, calm, like, hey, bro, how's this load? What's that? Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, there's a lot of that chillness, but uh, yeah, it comes on the back end where there's a lot of people that are going to swear at you and call you crazy names you'll never hear in a different job. Totally. But, uh, that's 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 their problem. Like, I mean, you're just you're just out. I tell this to people all the time when brokers yell at me. Like, I tell them, man, like, I'm just at work. We're just at work, bro. Like, like, I came here to make money. You came here today to make money. I tell my drivers, we're all just here to get paid. Like, we, yeah. we don't need to be screaming at each other and calling each other names and stuff. Like, we're, we're, we're at work, you know, at the end of the day. I think you brought up to work to, to be treated a good like point, that. though. I mean, it happens a lot more where they can't see someone on a screen and they're a thousand miles, you know, away. I mean, if you had to fire brokerages just because, you know, their conduct is not, you know, they're not a very business professional, whether it you know gets to the line of racism or they're just disrespectful. I mean, you guys had to you know cut ties with brokerages for that for that reason. Thank God, no. Knock on wood, no. To today, we do spend a lot of time in, in vetting our customers as well, and it's something I tell them from the start. You know, I, we have a beautiful culture, and I don't want to damage that. So you know, you need to be aligned with that from the beginning. Uh, so no, luckily we haven't had anything along those lines. We have had some situations of individuals realizing how awesome our talent is and trying to poach them for themselves, um, which is obviously not allowed because that's the whole point of, you know, our, our sourcing and our partnership, helping you with the back end of the contracting, all those fun things. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very real with you from the beginning. You know, if that is something you aspire to do, just let us know, you know. Um, but yeah, knock on wood, so far so good. We haven't had any major issues around, you know, discrimination or anything along those lines. That's interesting you brought that up. That That's great to hear, by the way. But it's interesting you you brought up, you know, stealing. Is that, is that I didn't even think about that as a, as a possibility. So, I mean, there's companies that'll say, hey, I'm going to, you know, hire them to do the offshoring, then I'm going to try to get their employees to you know, work directly for me or go somewhere else or come to the U.S. and you know, kind of do that. Yep. How do you like monitor that and prevent that? It's tricky, right? It's, it's super tricky. So at the end of the day, we're not going to limit our collaborators and their employee, their opportunities for employment. Um, so on their end, you know, they can make the decision that they want. Um, but on the the employer's end or the customer, they do have, you know, we, we do have contracts in place that, you know, prevent you from being able to do that after a certain amount of time. Um, so, you know, he, he just in this specific case, it was, you know, straight up just, you know, being unauthentic with us and, and lying and, and breaking uh, the grounds of the contracting. Uh, but on the other side, again, to this specific case, those collaborators actually declined his offer regardless of how awesome it was. You know, it was the opportunity to work directly with an American company and earn in dollars. And they said, you know, no, because we know that what we have here, we like, we know that what we have here is here to stay. Um, it's consistent, right? And so, you know, they're also worried about their future. Maybe they take this offer and then one month this guy fires them. So, well, you know, luckily we have that. Big, big yep. thing is that um, consistency and the ability to get paid uh, in these countries, Matt, is a big thing. Like the, her company is going to pay that person however they're getting paid, you know, like yep. on the books, this kind of thing. And then your government will see, you know, you work for, for a company that's reputable and you have income coming in where that opens the door for you to take, you know, loans and this kind of stuff. Exactly. A lot of American companies are going to struggle to set up a pay structure to where they can get cash to the employee on the books where they're able to live a normal life. And, you know, that's the thing. Her company has consistency. They have, you know, the, the pay is always there um, to poach an overseas employee that doesn't have their own registered business is very difficult. 
and uh, yeah. you know, just the pay is a big thing and uh, consistency like you said these people you know um our banks in serbia they say if you work on the internet then we're not gonna ever give you a loan even if you make five grand a month the person that makes 400 a month will get the loan because they work for the post office you know and they'll give them a loan for like a 10 grand but if you make wow. 10 grand a month but you work for an internet job they say hey your job can close tomorrow we don't trust you we're not giving you a dollar wow. so it comes with you know how they're getting paid if it's on the books nice everything good um that's a big benefit like you said you have health benefits you have the loan benefits of, you know provable income so that, yeah that's, that's more valuable than money right if you have a family and they can't get health insurance then it doesn't matter how much you know you're making or to your point of you know loans in colombia you know if you don't have an employer do your chances of being able to purchase or rent a home is slim to none. So they need to have an employer in Colombia to help them, you know, get those things and, and those opportunities. Yeah. So those benefits are, are crucial for them. Yeah, it's huge. Like you can turn down 50% extra salary without thinking about it if you have, you know, correct pay and a nice pay yeah. structure. Mm -hmm. How does that work too? I didn't even think about this. You guys, you know, brought, brought this up, but how does it work with non-competes? Like non-competes are like a big deal in the U.S., how does that work between not only non-competes with the brokerages that you're working with, they make these, you know, reps offshore sign them, but also internally, like I'd imagine that you and your competitors, you know, that are all offshore companies, you know, there's a lot of people going back and forth because you're all after the same target target market. I mean, I don't even know if non-competes are legal. I'm, I'm sorry for being naive there, but I don't even know if they're legal out there, but what what's kind of the non-competes in that, you know, world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the um, an American non-compete is not going to weigh in a different country. It's a completely different jurisdiction. So as we contract our employees, we do require all of them to sign an NDA. Um, and it just basically limits and, and mitigates that risk of sharing information. You know, whatever information they have with that account is remains with that account. And as soon as that relationship ends... Like, like domestically, like in Colombia. Within Colombia, exactly. So th they can't take that to another account or to another company, whether it's within or outside of S Works. Um, so we do have those protocols in place. Uh, but an ND or sorry, a non-compete in Colombia doesn't really exist um, because for them, the way they look at it is removing their opportunities for further employment, which is completely against you know the people's you know rights. Um, so it, it it's not like even if you make someone sign it. It doesn't necessarily exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, the U.S. should be more like uh, more like Colombia in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we'll wrap it up. I just hear you got a phone call coming in, and you know we've crossed Sorry. it out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. any more questions, Matt? Anything? I no, I think we covered it. Thanks for thanks for coming <laughs> on. You, you weren't feeling well, and um, you know, answering. We were kind of all over the all over the place, <laughs> but I think we covered a lot of you know, important topics. And we really enjoyed having you on. No, thank you guys. I'm really happy to be here. I, I feel a little bit better now. So let's do this next time. I'm sick as well. <laughs> but thank you guys for the opportunity. Oh, thank you for coming on and talking about a topic that's, you know, close to me, because um, like I said, I am overseas. I do see all these people every day. And I think we really need to change how, how everybody looks to this stuff. But I'm happy, you know, there's companies like you offering people, you know, a fair work environment, because uh, I mean, over here, it's hit or miss. The company will either treat you great or they're going to treat you like, you know, garbage. So yeah, um, I like to hear that you guys are the good, one of the good ones. And, uh, you know, just thanks for giving us your time to, to talk about it. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, have a good uh, good holidays. And, uh, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, you guys as well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you.
All right, man. That's the first one. We, we got to do a couple more of these. Um, I like the topic, you know. Um, I, I really like the topic. Um, it's cool. I, you know, that's just one country. I want to see, you know, what else is out there. I want to keep this topic, you know, slowly. It doesn't have to be. We're not going to go do five shows in a row uh, about offshoring. But, I mean, it's interesting, man. Yeah, no, it's interesting topic. Uh, interesting topic to me. And you know, Mia was super open. You know, we were we were kind of asking all sorts of questions. Yeah, and, uh, that was naive on certain things, especially me more so than more so than you. But even you being in Serbia, I mean, yeah, completely different. It's completely different than what's going on in Colombia, and really, honestly, what's going on in the Philippines with offshore. Yeah, yeah. Is a lot I, of like what, I like what she was saying. Where um, you know, she deals with one country, and I deal obviously with a different country, and everyone else deals with you know different countries. And I like what she was saying. Where if you're a customer. You got to kind of feel out the pros and cons and what each like kind of country is more geared to deal with and what kind of more aligns with what you're looking to pay, what you're looking to get out of it. And I mean, it's just such a, a big topic because you never think about these things. You know, each country can have different economies, different pay structures, different proficiency in English. And I mean, it's just such a big topic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's so... So many different ways to go go about it. And it's getting to be more competitive. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of lot of offshoring companies. I mean, we we've had actually what well, we've had one or two reach out to us, you know, before about being being on the show. I, yeah. If I if you I think you told me that. Um, you know, I mean, there's the competition level, and that is you know getting. I know, like this. I mean, I definitely want to bring you know one, two, two more. Whatever happens, slowly throughout it. Um, the thing for me is just like in my country like these jobs, like these people, I, this is kind of a new topic for me because I've never really thought about having these kind of middlemen companies that are, you know, recruiting the talent and then giving it to a customer. The way it works in my country, like I told you, 99% of it is the owner of the carrier or brokerage is the one that like opens up the companies here and they hire internally. So all of our jobs that are outsourced are not outsourced. They're just given back to the country of like the origin of the owner, you know, like they want to hire their own people. They see a value obviously in lower salaries, but you know, the, the quality of work is the same. And you know, a lot of the people like their uncles work there, like they're, you know, it's like a family thing. And so, I mean, the way we outsource, it's very different. It's all done internally in house. Um, it's kind of like um, a patriotic thing where like, Hey, we made it in America. Let's kind of send some money back home. Let's take care of our families back home type of thing where this is like, this is just a business play, but I mean, obviously it's still helping, you know, people the same, but it's a business play at that point, you know, like these are middlemen companies recruiting talent. And I mean, it's just interesting. I never thought about it because that's not how we do it over here. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely different. I, I, and I think they're, we should have asked me of this, but I, I would guess they're more heavily on the brokerage side you know, than the carrier side. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of carriers in Eastern, Eastern Europe and kind of, you know, direct like yourself, yeah. where yeah. I think they're more, and we should have asked that it was, it would have been a good question, but I, I would I mean, assume I she obviously told us the highest placement is like BDR. It's a lot of brokerage stuff. Um, I mean, she didn't well, say you can have BDRs for carrier. You can, you can have carrier, uh, you yeah, know, trying to get trucking some. companies. Maybe you can do sales for Luda, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I already do. That I'm all rolled into to one thing. But um, I think I would imagine it's mostly on the broker side. And like you said, on, on our end, it's a lot on the carrier side. But, like, brokerages are here. I mean, like, CW, that's the biggest one. 
like CW carriers, that's a lot of a lot of their employees are over here. Um, that's just one I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's many more, but um, I mean, like I said, we just do it in a different way where it's like internal in house, and this whole like kind of outsourcing thing. These companies, I'm just you know, I'm curious to see like like she sounded cool. She sounded like they got you know a great work environment, and they have their own office you can come into. And I'm just kind of curious about the the like how other people are getting it done in what other countries and, and that kind of stuff. Well, maybe we should meet in another another country sometime. We can both check it out. <laughs> it would be a lot easier for me to come to go to Colombia than it would be for me to go to Serbia. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's also fair. a lot better weather. Hey, maybe we could also just go to India, bro, because their food is awesome. I love Indian food so much. I think that's somewhere in the middle of both of us. <laughs> I, I personally like Chinese and Mexican food much better, but that's just that's uh, just bad. Well, that's a good show, man. Let's wrap it up there. And uh, if you want to do something tomorrow, let's uh, let's set it up. Yeah. What I well, what's our plan too? We got to figure this out. Uh, are most people I wonder going to be off next next Tuesday as well? Are you working Tuesday of next? I'm week? working Tuesday. I think every every care. I mean, I talked to my buddy who works at a Canadian carrier today, and it's Boxing Day in Canada. We take that like very seriously. So I mean, Tuesday in Canada is a write off, but in the states, I don't see why we're not working Tuesday. Well, we can see if we'll do a casual Friday. Um, you know, uh, somebody was joking that John's going to be like our third member, like yeah, 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 casual yeah, Friday. Yeah. But like John's always <laughs> willing to come on for for casual Friday. So you know, we we could do. Uh, there's also, I was, I'm not going to say it on air, but Alex knows what we're talking about off air. There's John wants to debate a certain group on on a certain topic, and we've been. <laughs> debating doing that on air if we cannot have it get too uh we too, wanna, rowdy. too rowdy yeah we want to have real, it bro if it doesn't get too real <laughs> yeah and also some some groups quite honestly and you know i get it they, they think they're on enemy territory on linkedin so um you know. i mean at the end of the day you're in the territory of trucking um you know brokers heavily outweigh carriers anyways wherever you go like i mean unless you go type into like maybe facebook like carrier only trucker only like for the most part brokers outnumber carriers anyways so i mean if you're just you know gonna gonna talk how you're gonna talk and represent what you're gonna represent like like me like i'm a carrier i'm on linkedin i do great i enjoy being there i love hearing from brokers you know if i'm right if i'm wrong it's a learning experience for everyone you don't always like hearing when you're when you're wrong you you get into yeah. more linkedin arguments than i do by far. yeah i think i've been uh i've been kind of toning it a little bit too high on the, the 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 fighting back part but i mean bro if you're in enemy territory that that's just more motivation that's just more opinions that's more views like more like you know viewpoints and more like you know they're gonna change how you look at stuff you might change how they look at stuff um i mean that's a learning experience if you're just in a group of 10 people that keep telling you yeah you're right all the time everything you say you're right like that's just an echo chamber and i mean if you're scared of conflict if you're scared of being told your you know your opinion's wrong um i mean that's kind of more a you problem than, than anyone else like there is a lot of echo chambering on on linkedin honestly yeah i mean everywhere on the internet everywhere you look yeah. on the internet people want to be told that they're right people want to you know push the same agenda like they want to say the sky is blue everyone else says the sky is blue and they feel good about that but i mean i think conflict uh peaceful conflict and you know professional arguments you know that's where the learning really happens in my opinion 
Well, if we can't make that happen too, um, there's another um, sales rep that's not not all obviously. There's very few people active on LinkedIn, so some of the conversations you know happen outside. But I know a sales rep who is at John's level in terms of millions of dollars of profit a year, um, who wants to debate John live on air too. Who's also a two million dollar profit profit a year rep. So um, if the if the carrier Hey, I'm down for, we got to do like the multi shows. I'm down for debates. I'm down for, you know, a couple of people at a time. And as if people don't know this by now, Matt does most of our scheduling. I would say like 98% of every guest is just Matt's dealing with that. Uh, I deal with just making sure that the, the logo pops up in the bottom right every day. Yeah, you deal with our all of our tech too, dude. I, I have no idea. Like I couldn't even do the show yesterday myself if I wanted to, because I don't know <laughs> how to operate half of this tech uh, YouTube and, and yeah, but we just, we, we want to, we obviously want to have a real show, but we also want to make sure it's professional too. So that's why we don't want to have some, you know, pull like three of the most out there carriers out there, three of the brokers on the opposite side and have people like yelling at each other, leaving the stream. We don't want to, yeah, like, I mean, I think like, we get a lot of either, you know. I think we get a lot of heat for not asking, you know, more tough, tough questions and stuff. But at the end of the day, like we're the host. It's not our job really to to get into arguments with our guests. It's our job to ask them the questions that lead them down the road of, you know, their true opinions on a true. It's like, you know, we, we said in episode one or two, like we're not obviously professionals at, at interviewing people, but I've started to realize, you know, our job is more to lead people down the road of showing what they truly think rather than it is for me to tell them, hey, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. Because I might think that, but it's not my job to to tell, you know, the guests directly, hey, I don't agree 100 percent. Like, I'm not here to, to get into arguments with, with our guests. Like, Yeah, neither am I. And, and that's that's the thing we might have if we do bring on two people. <laughs> they, might, they might not argue with us. But I they think we could be themselves. <laughs> I think we can mediate the situation, and uh, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, we'll wrap yeah, it up for today. No guarantees and, uh, on that, guys. We're we're still we're still uh, still debating that um, debating that one. But just happy to not be sick, man. I'm sorry I missed yesterday's show, and uh, hopefully we reschedule that one. Yeah, we got a, we got a lot of guests. I should say we have a lot of great guests lined up for after the new year too. A lot of people are really busy right now at the holidays. We have yeah. confirmed like two or three guests for after January that. Um, a lot of people are going to want to hear from, I'm sure. So, yeah, man. Well, happy Thursday. Like I said, if we figure out casual Friday, just uh, shoot me a text. All right. Sounds good. Take it easy, bro. Take it easy. Peace.